Welcome to Share Public Health, the Midwestern Public Health Training Center's podcast connecting you to public health topics, issues, and colleagues throughout our region and the country, highlighting that we all share in public health. Thank you for tuning in to the series focusing on mental health. In this series, we will explore mental health through the lenses of schools, public safety, and the business community. Be sure to check the notes to get links to resources mentioned in the podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is Maya joining from the Midwestern Public Health Training Center, and we're delighted to have a wonderful group of people with us today to have another fascinating conversation about collective work that community partners are doing to help address uh, mental health in their community. So today we're talking with a team in Washington County, Iowa, that has come together to address mental health specific in their community. They've built a really strong coalition, which includes the Sheriff's Department, a crisis intervention training, public health, and more. So today we're going to learn a little bit from them about how the group came together and what they're working on now. So if we can get started, I'd like to ask each of you to introduce yourselves and maybe just a little bit about what you do. So let's get started with Danielle, if you would, please. Sure. Hi, Maya. Thanks so much for that introduction. My name is Danielle Pettit-Majewski, and I am the administrator for Washington County Public Health. So um, in my role, I, I, do, I do a lot of different things. I have my hands in a lot of different pots, but I work on outreach like this from our community health needs assessment, emergency prepare, preparedness, grant oversight, just, just a number of things to keep our department running uh, smoothly on a day-to-day -day basis. Thanks, Danielle. And Lynn, would you share a little bit, please? Yes. I'm the public health nurse for Washington County Public Health, and I work with several different programs. I work with the immunization program. I'm the Vaccines for Children coordinator, and I work with communicable disease and the TB program and community health needs assessment and the health improvement plan. Thanks, Lynn. And Bobby. I'm Bobby Wolf, and I work with the Southeast Iowa Link Region. I work for Washington and Eliza counties. I'm the coordinator of disability services. Thanks, Bobby. And is Sarah on? Could you introduce yourself? Yes, I am Sarah Behrens, and I also am a Henry County Coordinator of Disability Services for Southeast Iowa Link Region, and I'm also the Program Director for our Mission Link Jail Diversion Program that serves um, six jails in our eight-county region. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. And Alan, share a little bit about yourself, please. My name is Alan Brady. I am the jail alternatives coordinator for Washington and Keokuk County. I actually work underneath Sarah. Um, she directs our program. I'm also the crisis intervention team coordinator. Um, this training is a 40-hour training for officers that trains them in mental illness awareness and how to interact with those individuals. Thank you, Alan. What a great group. I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about what you've been working on together. So maybe just to kick us off, uh, how, I'm curious, how did this group come together? How, how did you get started and how has it evolved over time? Who would like to start? I'll jump in, um, Maya. So this group came together after our 2015 Community Health Needs Assessment. 
Um, one of the things that we chose as a community to work on was mental health and access to mental health because at that time, if you recall, um, the governor had decided that he was going to shut down the, the mental health facilities in the state. And so there was a lot of concern about having access to mental health services. And so we reached out to a number of our community members who work in mental health, who work in social services, who work in law enforcement, all of the um, cross-jurisdictional organizations that come face-to-face -face with mental health and the impact it has on health on a daily basis. And we started meeting in November of 2015, and we have really grown from there. In 2015, you said, wow, that's so you guys have been at this for a little while. We have been. It, it has been a, a consistent, robust group that continues to grow. Um, I think we have approximately 31 members on our coalition that meet on a monthly basis. Obviously, um, kind of depends on, on everybody's schedules, but we have had a very engaged group and a lot of different conversations over the years about how we can increase access to mental health services to our community. Thank you. So I'm curious, when the group first got together, um, I imagine that you had quite a bit of conversation around things that your community could do together to um, address this issue. How did you land on um, to, um, on working around crisis intervention or some of the other things that you've been working on together? Well, crisis intervention really has evolved. When we first started, the coalition first began, we really were thinking we were going to work on assisting healthcare providers with accessing mental health services and stigma. Those were a couple of the top two objectives we thought we would be working on. And we did indeed work with um, getting resources and re referral information into healthcare providers' hands. But then we've also started now on, on several different new paths, which has been very exciting. That's and I think we realized once we all came to the table that we as partners didn't even necessarily know what all the resources in our community were. And so, we first had to learn what everybody around the table had to offer and we wanted to make sure that we shared that with the community so we put together a resource guide and we put together a referral form for our, for our providers so that they could ensure that they knew who to refer to in the community as well we had a lot of conversations about where we should start because we we're kind of looking at this from two different directions you know, were we going to respond to the crisis that we saw in the law enforcement side with people who were already dealing with mental health, or were we going to take more of a public health approach in prevention and focus on screening kids and ensuring that they were getting the needs, their needs met? Um, we really felt that there was not a lot of resources sufficient enough to go after both. And so it took us a while to kind of wrap our hands around the problem and look at it from um, multiple different angles. And as part of the group, um, part of the Mental Health Coalition, the Southeast Iowa Link region um, representative was myself and we brought in our partners with the Transition Link and began discussing the crisis intervention programming and what we were doing inside of the jails 
we dealt more with the adult aspect of mental health services versus public health dealing with the children's side. So we decided to develop a partnership amongst all of us so that we were addressing all of those issues. And Sarah could probably speak to when the Southeast Iowa Link region began doing some planning with the, that type of programming. We started this um, around March of 2015 as well. That is when the National Association of Counties started partnering up and offering a program that is called the Stepping Up Initiative, which is an initiative to help um, those folks who are booked into jail or those folks with mental illness who are having an interface with law enforcement trying to um, divert them from going to jail or if they do make it into jail to help them reduce the length of stay that they are um, staying in jail and then of course we while they're in jail we want to connect them to treatment opportunities so that when they discharge from jail they're going into an array of services that will hopefully help reduce recidivism and have them not return to jail. Yeah, Sarah, thank you for that. I know, um, of course, across the nation, um, as mental health has progressed, the interest in um, community-based services and helping to serve people in their own area where their home is has really been uh, the best practice instead of keeping people in some sort of facility um, or infrastructure. So I'm, I'm curious about two things. Um, one, did if whether or not uh, law enforcement was a part of your co uh, coalition at the start or whether or not you had reached out to them uh, once you started thinking a little bit more around crisis. Um, and my second question is um, if you have consumer representatives involved, in other words, you know, people who have um, perhaps experienced these services who may have experienced challenges with mental health and um, uh, can serve in sort of an advocacy role. So we do have some consumer involvement in the crisis intervention training. One of the pieces of that, and Alan can talk to that more, is to have people present in the 40-hour training who have lived experience. And that helps law enforcement officers, you know, see the faces in a different environment that they um, are dealing with as they're going out on their routine patrols and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then as far as the stepping up initiative, I believe that all of the counties in our eight county region did a resolution and um, what that was is that the elected officials, law enforcement, mental health providers, all of the stakeholders in the mental health system were at a meeting, we discussed the resolution and then the county signed on to that resolution to enter into the stepping up program to help again, address the mental health needs of the men and women who are booked into jails that do have um, mental health issues that they need to address. Law enforcement, uh, both county, county law enforcement and city uh, law enforcement have been really involved in the Washington County Mental Health Coalition as well. Um, they routinely attend our meetings and are, are very active in that. And as far as for um, the Mental Health Coalition, we do have a school subcommittee. And on that school subcommittee, we do have persons with uh, lived mental health experiences participating in that subcommittee as well. 
I'm so excited to hear agencies that. In, the, the law enforcement agencies in Washington County have been um, participating in, as Lynn said, not only the meetings that we've been having with the schools, also with our mental health coalition, but they're also on the committees that we have at the region level with the eight counties who have been uh, important part of developing that training and the, the, for the crisis intervention. Wow, so this coalition has really taken some great strides, it sounds like, in uh, the years that you've been together. Um, I'm curious, of course, in probably uh, many communities across the nation, there are similar sorts of, of coalitions, and I know that there has been um, some similar type of uh, crisis intervention teams that um, often partner with law enforcement. So I'm wondering whether or not you um, have partnered or have had any contact uh, or communicated with um, like sort of coalitions in different areas, and if so, if that um, has been of value um, to you or to them in uh, learning together about how you would address these issues. I would say most recently we have began to share information or gather information from a coalition that's adjacent to us um, because we began a new project um, with learning how adversity and toxic stress affects us um, biologically. And so we have started those connections with another coalition, but up to this point, um, we have not included other coalitions, would that be a fair statement, Danielle? I do think that that would be a fair statement. I think it would be excellent if we could find other coalitions that are working on similar goals, but at this point we haven't um, necessarily found those. Um, we do have a NAMI support group that has started, and so there have been conversations between um, leadership in this committee and also in that coalition as well. So I do think that there's room for that work to happen. Yes, at this point, our mental health coalition has pulled in the other members of the community in which um, address mental health, which includes our NAMI group, um, also includes our providers of service, and also includes the Southeast Iowa Link Mental Health and Disability Services region. So we've pulled in the partners into our coalition in developing um, some of the services that are available to us and shared those resources with the team members that are involved in that coalition. This is fantastic. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think is so interesting is just recognizing that um, collaborative work um, takes a lot of respect of each other's roles um, and yet recognizing that there's sort of this collective organism that is the community and that everybody has um, a role together to play. So I'm wondering, um, what would you say have been some of the things that have really helped this particular coalition um, function well and not only together as a group of uh, trusted partners and colleagues, but that that has also ended up being effective in your specific community? I believe that some of the previous services that we had developed had developed those relationships 
amongst a lot of the members of the coalition. We all had a common goal, so the coalition was a, a, a natural place for all of us to come together and talk about some of the gaps in services that we saw. But prior to um, doing some crisis intervention training, we had established mental health professionals in our emergency room for crisis intervention. And so we had already developed some of those relationships with our magistrate here, our law enforcement officers, our hospital with our mental health professionals. And we had been sitting at the table years prior to the coalition. So I think that having some of those established relationships just made it stronger when we developed the coalition. And as we moved forward, we already had that respect with one another. And as we brought people in, they really learned about a lot of the things we were doing and were excited about that. And moving forward was something that we all wanted to do and you know, to develop the best service array for our community. I would have to agree with Bobby. I think that you know, sometimes you look at a smaller rural community and you think that we're gonna have fewer resources um, but I do think that the fact that we are a smaller rural community, a lot of the people sitting around the table have those relationships already built. Like Bobby said, we work on a number of other projects together, and so there is that trust, and we can go kind of full steam ahead without that, that introductory phase, if you will. Yeah, that's that's very true. I think that's um, what I heard you saying is just some a bit of a reflection of the culture of the community and how that contributed to um, your ability to really uh, to come together. And I think it's really interesting to hear um, how public health fits into that because I think uh, at least my experience has been that sometimes in smaller communities, uh, the likelihood of that uh, strong partnership or pre-existing relationships is really valuable and allows everybody to come together around a problem. Um, as opposed to sometimes in bigger communities, you tend to see perhaps a bit more siloing where uh, there are so many providers uh, or partners perhaps around mental health that those folks have a coalition tackling that issue. Therefore, public health might remain a little bit more just on the prevention side instead of sort of beginning to dabble a little bit into uh, what some might consider sort of on the treatment end of the spectrum. So it's exciting to hear how you all have been together. Um, I'm, I, I know that we have talked quite a bit around a variety of things, or we've heard a variety of things so far that your coalition has worked on, but I just wanted to make sure before we moved into uh, hearing a little bit more specifically about crisis intervention, what have really been um, any of the other main priorities? I heard, I heard about a school subcommittee, um, a couple other things. Would somebody just sort of name off uh, the priorities that you've been working off on together? One of the priorities now for the coalition is uh, we've started to learn about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and connections. We're learning about how important connections are in the community, and many of us have attended a training with um, Connections Matter, and so that has become a major emphasis now for the coalition is um, building these relationships with other members of the community and uh, educating and the rest of the community about the importance of relationships with with people so that is one aspect that we're starting to move in a little bit newer direction and um, it, it's I think a very exciting time for the coalition with uh, ACEs topic of ACEs 
And I will say just to reiterate, you know, our first priority when we met was we realized that we didn't know as providers and partners what everybody else around the table was able to provide to the community. And so one of our first priorities was to ensure that we put together some information that would share that information with, with the community because we realized if we don't know, then somebody who doesn't work with this um, every day is certainly going to have a more difficult time. And because oftentimes people don't seek out resources until they're in crisis or until their family members are in crisis, we really wanted to put that information out in an easy to understand packet. We have put it all over the county um, in places where there's going to be zero stigma about walking into, you know, hair salons, the courthouse, the library, um, restaurants, you know, and then of course the, the regular places that you would think of, providers' offices and things like that. But we really wanted to make sure that we spread the word about what resources are in the county and also to have a, a kind of a no wrong door, essentially referring everybody back to Bobby if they felt that there wasn't um, their exact resource listed in there or they weren't sure which direction to go. We really wanted to make it a priority that people knew where they could get access um, to services when either they or a family member were in crisis. And I think as we bring awareness to our community and start educating our members, then it brings about good conversation amongst everyone just so that we feel more comfortable talking about mental health. That's beautiful. Uh, you know, I just would make an observation. Um, one of the things that I have seen um, in a variety of communities is this really powerful shift from uh, the objective of safety uh, over to and a, a really a priority about resiliency. Uh, and that shifts the way we have conversations around people. And I'm thinking even about children um, engaged in perhaps a child welfare system or um, because of certain issues or in the family or whatever. And I just am really excited to hear this group talk about such powerful things and uh, their role inside of that. That's wonderful. Um, Alan, I would love to hear a little bit more from you. So moving into thinking a little bit more about some of the other work that this coalition partners on. Alan, would you please say a little bit more about what you do? Okay, so um, I coordinate a 40-hour training for law enforcement. Uh, we are going to move into offering it to dispatchers as well. Uh, the training itself is also open to first responders, jailers, um, emergency medical staff. Uh, we're trying to make and complete and um, fluid uh, transaction when it comes to crisis intervention. Uh, it's a 40-hour training officers. Uh, we hold it in uh, Mount Pleasant, which is a central location to all of our counties. Um, officers come, they're there for the week. They train on different aspects of mental illness, different um, signs and symptoms of different uh, mental illnesses and disorders. Um, how to interact with those people, how to uh, visually understand when people are escalating, uh, which they get this training in their um, camp boot camp anyway, but um, this allows them a little bit deeper look as well as getting those lived experiences and um, getting access to resources coming in during the week from all over the area. Um, and those resources are able to interact with the officers and tell them what they're capable of and what um, what they offer to the community. 
Alan, is that training required for law enforcement? So, um, depending on how you look at it, yes, um, it is not required by any kind of um, policy code or anything like that, but it is uh, something we're aiming for in our region to have all of our officers trained in CIT. Um, and we have a lot of law enforcement departments, most of the law enforcement departments in our area that are on board with that, and they are behind sending their officers and getting everyone trained in it because they've seen the um, outcome and how well the officers interact with individuals after the training. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious, Alan, are you guys using a, a specific curricula that you've found or is there some is was it something that you guys developed? Um, so we have had the um, lovely ability from our region to be able to send people to different trainings uh, around the nation um, and crisis intervention, most notably St. Louis and San Antonio. Um, we have also taken notes from um, Johnson County. They're a little bit bigger area, so we were able to kind of play off some of the stuff that they were working on. Um, one of the people that were big in starting this role is actually up there now. Um, so the developing of our program has been based on several others, and we've just kind of taking the, taken the good out of each one of them and put them into our program. That's great. So I'm curious then, Alan, what have you seen um, in terms of some shifts perhaps in how uh, participants of that training have viewed or thought more about their work and, in, and relationships in working with community members who might be experiencing mental health challenges? Um, so one of the things that we do in crisis intervention during the 40-hour training is um, role play. Um, and during those role plays, we will have actors um, come in and act out scenarios where somebody is demonstrating uh, symptoms of mental illness. Um, as the week gets on, the role plays get longer and the um, symptoms of mental illness tend to get a little bit more severe. Um, and how officers interact with those individuals, um, it's all completely hands-off. There's no hands-on during this interaction. All officers lock their guns in their car. Um, it's just, it's completely safe, um, but it allows officers to get almost real life usage of the skills that they're learning during CIT. Um, from those role plays and into the real world, um, the reports that have gotten back, officers have been able to interact with people, build relationships and rapport with these individuals that they um, interact with on a frequent basis. Uh, and this has led to better relationships and then their knowledge of being able to recommend that, recommend them onto resources um, allows these individuals to seek out the help they need without future interaction with law enforcement. That's fantastic. I think the use of role play in your uh, training setting is brilliant. And I think that um, I would imagine that it helps individuals um, be able to take what they hear in a training in terms of sort of some real life practice, especially as uh, law enforcement who we all know um, put their potentially put their own lives and safety at risk in their work every day. And so, be, you know, running into situations where they're 
um, not sure what to expect, um, and yet want to ensure that they're caring for people in a way that preserves their human dignity um, and provides uh, the best for them. And so I think that's really exciting. Um, to hear that as well. And I think I heard someone else on our um, conversation this morning reference that um, people with lived experience, so what we might consider consumers of mental health services um, or peers, uh, some folks might refer to them as, um, as also participate in the training in some way. Could you say a little bit more, Alan, about how that happens? Yeah, so our lived experience pieces are one of the most important pieces of CIT. Um, they get to not only see how these individuals interact and how they behave in just their normal setting, um, but also they get to see um, recovery, um, which is very important, and the, the ability for hope and moving on from their mental illness. Um, for instance, a couple individuals, one of which is Aaron Likens. Um, he comes and speaks um, out of Saint, the St. Louis area. Um, Aaron Likens is um, an autism ambassador out of St. Louis. He um, has spoken at FBI um, academies. He has done all kinds of stuff all over the nation. Um, great guy. Um, he himself is on the autism spectrum. And he comes and speaks to the officers and he tells them about what to expect on the street if they interact with somebody with autism, um, situations of how they should handle it, their behaviors of whether or not they're actually um, being aggressive or if it's just something that is from their autistic behavior. Um, and then at the end of the week, we like to bring an individual that's actually not too far away from our home site, but um, he has battled with schizophrenia his entire life. And he's actually a very successful realtor out of Des Moines. And um, just giving that image of hope and recovery. And he's a very funny guy, great presenter, of course. Um, but we like to bring those people in so that um, the individuals that cops interact with most of the time um, kind of shed a bad stigma on mental illness. And so bringing those people in to show them that the good behind it um, really does help. Yeah, yeah, I, I agreed. And that's why I think I was sharing the observation that I've seen that as more of us become aware of that, it allows us to uh, shift sort of past perhaps that immediate um, concern for safety alone um, and being able to move towards um, how can I be an ambassador for their recovery and uh, and supporting their resiliency. So I, I'm just um, huge praise for uh, your management of that training and to your community partners for uh, considering that of utmost importance. Um, so I'm curious for um, some of our other uh, participants today, if there's things that you might want to add on to what Alan was sharing about the training and how that might have changed um, your interaction with uh, some of our uh, law enforcement folks in your area. I think an important part of that crisis intervention training to law enforcement also is uh, one of the days we bring in a, a resource fair. So we have our providers of service there to meet face-to-face -face with our officers. So it gives them an opportunity to not only learn about the resources that we have, but also puts a face to that service and just build some more relationships. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so to your point about um, putting together the resource and referral guide earlier, that's a step beyond just having, you know, the sheet of paper, but then um, a community officer can say, well, Sharon down the street would be a good fit for this person or whatever and can um, provide that connectivity in a little bit more powerful, powerful way. That's fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm wondering for uh, how you guys might have uh, measured your success. Surely you're, you have captured some stories of success. So if you wanted to share some of those also, um, but, and I'm curious how you might be measuring the success. And so sometimes those things come in those really tangible ways. I think, Sarah, I heard you mention earlier some of the things that the behavioral health community often might track in terms of length of stay or connectivity to treatment or the avoidance of having to enter into higher levels of care. Um, so even a performance measures or indicators around that. But I'm really curious just in terms of some of the success stories that you've seen that might be a bit more qualitative, if you will, or things that you really would have identified as demonstrative that at some point in time made you say, this is working and we're doing a great thing for our community. I think one of the things that is important in how we work through our program as jail diversion coordinators is the focus on ACEs and the resiliency. We do try and let the detainees work, we work with, um, have exposure to ACEs and to help them understand their own resiliency. And then probably a recent story, it, it's not necessarily from the Washington County area, but in a couple of our other counties, we have a um, substance abuse court, and my staff in training a new hire that we have attended the um, substance abuse court, and there were seven individuals there, and of those seven individuals, five had been through our jail diversion program, and they strongly identified how important the connection was that they had with our jail diversion folks while they were in jail, help them become successful once they got out of jail. And even one of those individuals is what we call a frequent flyer. And um, of those five individuals, they all had employment and were um, working on getting into their own apartments and um, very grateful to my staff that they were able to talk to and say, thank you, that helped me um, stop this cycle. And one of the individuals even told the uh, judge at drug court how important our program was to them and helping them become stable and um, be able to have a different path that they're walking now now that they're out of jail and have had some supports from that program and had somebody help them do a warm handoff to those community um, service options that are out there that they may be comfortable reaching out to on their own. The Mental Health Coalition subcommittee, the school subcommittee, has had a lot of success this past year, and um, they were they were able to were successful in in obtaining a grant, and they are now able to provide some mental health supports at, at the school on site, which is a huge improvement, and now are able to launch even further because of that initial grant funding. So um, they're building on that program. So that's been a real success. 
with the Mental Health Coalition. And the fact that the Mental Health Coalition is still alive, four years later, we haven't you know, disintegrated. We're all still very passionate. We still want to move forward. We're working on this uh, awareness campaign. We have new goals. So the coalition is still, you know, still very functional and um, alive at this point, which is, I think is a real success because so many times you see committees form and then after a year or so, they disintegrate. Yeah. Very good point, Lynn. Well, another question I had is, um, so you've been successful together and have worked collaboratively really well for quite some time. I'm curious, um, within your work, have, has there been some things pop up that were unexpected? Uh, perhaps a direction that you went that you didn't see coming or that you were, you didn't, you didn't anticipate was going to be successful and now you've seen that um, a lot of passion around. What are some of the things that uh, you did not expect as when you started this work together? Well, I don't think we really expected um, the emphasis of the school. You know, there is a new mandate now for schools to be um, conducting adverse childhood experience training and resiliency training. And that really was not on our radar when we started four years ago. And um, so that's been a change with new mandates for the school. And then we had access to um, a national speaker, John Richardson Love at a regional training and we were so excited to meet him we invited him to come to washington iowa and he did he came and spent an entire day he spent in washington partly with the school system and then also with our mental health coalition and so he was able to spend we had access to him and to learn about um that we are right on track with a lot of other coalitions and he was able to give us advice on future direction so we had, you know, that was new. We were not planning on having any access to a national expert and to spend a day with us here in Washington. And um, we were not expecting for the schools to have this emphasis and required trainings on adverse childhood experiences and resiliency. So that's been a new direction for us. And I think one thing too that we weren't expecting is just as the time has gone on, how many different ways we were able to loop in other opportunities to what we were doing with the mental health coalition because this has become such a hot topic of interest you know and that i think has really helped us expand our coalition we were not 31 members when we started in november of 2015 we have um, really realized how many people are impacted by mental health um, how many organizations deal with it and really i think what is exciting to me is, as Lynn talked about with the ACEs and with the Connections Matter, is, is getting out into the business community, talking to workforce, helping them to realize how they can engage with their employees to help with recruitment and retention, and just how um, broad this topic is and how it touches so many aspects of our lives. And so I think that that has been really exciting and really surprising to help people realize that in overcoming the stigma we can really impact a lot of change and to expand on that we have brought in some unconventional if you will providers um, such as our local ymca our iowa state extension office you know people who are really working towards building resiliency um, in a way in which we had never thought of it before but now with some additional training you know really trying to broaden our array of 
not just services, but connections and supports in our community to bring that all together to develop that resiliency. So I think we're really excited to build those relationships that we've never had between public health, mental health, and now with some of those other providers who have typically not been involved in our system before. And I think that the development of NAMI has come up just recently in Washington County as well. And I think that, you know, starting to think about them as a partner in education and, you know, peer groups also will be a great asset for us and we'll want to build our coalition stronger. Yeah, thanks everyone for sharing. This is a really powerful example of people working together. And I just keep sort of hearing in my head, this is public health, this is, this is fantastic. Um, and I just really love hearing about people that are so passionate for individual and community resiliency. And perhaps to echo um, a lot of what I'm hearing is just how meaningful that is to a variety of people. It, um, not just a variety of people that you work with, um, it, you know, but to uh, note that everyone knows someone um, that experiences mental health challenges at some point in or other in their life. And we recognize that there is no health without behavioral health. And so to have this work happening in your community makes me feel proud to be a part of this work somewhere else in the nation, but to know that there's good people like you working um, on this stuff together. Um, so I'm wondering, as we're, um, we're coming a little bit closer to the end of our time together, um, are there some other notes of things that uh, folks wanted to share today? If you were making a uh, recommendation to another community who is where you were in 2015 and they're just getting started, what would you say to that group? I think that it's important for people to understand that partnerships take time. I think a lot of us try to rush into a coalition, and I think that the relationship building piece of it is very important, and that does take time. Um, like you said, just to build that respect with one another, understand where each of us come from in our professions and in our lives in order for it to be successful. So be patient. Yeah, yeah, very true. I agree. Looking for a quick win is, is always what you want, but I think one thing, I mean, I guess as a public healther, I'm always thinking everything takes longer than you think it should. And especially as we're thinking about our doing our community health needs assessment again in 2020, you know, when I think like we've barely tapped the surface of what we should be working on with mental health. And so just, just go in knowing that it takes longer then you think it should. It is, a, it is a big issue to wrap your hands around and that there's multiple perspectives to look at it from. And so to not get discouraged if you're not seeing immediate results. Yeah, that's a good point, Danielle. Lynn, I think you were, you were kind of going along the same thread there. Did you want to come back to that comment and add a little bit more? I think that Danielle captured it really well. Um, but so many times I think community members or coalition members are looking for that quick win. And sometimes that, that 
just isn't possible in the first year to have some uh, you know major event be able to be accomplished because we're still like we all have mentioned we're still working on building our relationships learning what each other does so it does take a lot of patience a lot of persistence and diligence coalition work I think requires a lot of those elements um, from the leadership and from the membership as well from everyone on the coalition um, it's really important to have those elements present very good point, Lynn. Yeah, I think that's true. And, um, and most of us recognize that, you know, we don't see necessarily changes in health indicators um, for a good five years. And so you're, you're not going to see um, an outcome related to perhaps prevalence rates or things like that for a very long time. If that's what we were using to uh, measure some success, we might have been on the wrong boat. And so being able to identify um, other things, and, and even sometimes that just means community connectedness and the strength of a coalition can really reflect those, uh, those uh, positive outcomes. Um, did anybody have anything else that you wanted to share about a recommendation to another community who might be at the start? Alan, perhaps uh, a little bit around uh, getting a training program going. What what might you recommend to another community? Um, I guess I was not necessarily the one that initially started this whole program. I came in towards the beginning of its inception for crisis intervention, um, but a lot of it is already established. However, we are moving forward with an advanced CIT course as well as we've been trying to get started on a dispatcher course. Um, I would say another community that's trying to get involved is to reach out to the communities around you that have these programs started. Um, a lot of communities are very willing to help out and give you information on how they got stuff connected and how they got resources connected and how they got people involved in the training. Um, I mean, I still reach out to the individuals from San Antonio and St. Louis when I have questions on things. Um, and I have, I have actually offered to other communities um, to help them out and try to get the IT program started in their own community so they could be self-sufficient. And um, some communities are willing and some aren't, but um, that, that's the big thing is just reaching out and getting help. from There's no reason to reinvent the wheel, per se, on this uh, training. Great. Thank you. So as you wonderful people have been talking this morning, I've been capturing some of the things that I think might be reflective for our listeners, uh, keeping in mind, of course, that most of the folks that this podcast is directed towards are those working in public health. Um, so perhaps let's just kind of go around and I'll, I'll go down our little list here um, and call on you by name. And if you might think of something that would be uh, something that you might recommend that the listener could consider when after they're listening to this podcast, what might be one thing that you would recommend um, for them to think about next or take action on next? Uh, so Danielle, I'm going to put you on the spot uh, and you can say pass if nothing comes to mind, but Danielle, would there be something that you might recommend to our, that our listeners could do next? Yeah, I think one of the most important things when you're thinking about mental health is just realizing how many people in your life are dealing with mental health issues. And um, by finding ways to, you know, start those, start those conversations, start reducing the stigma, start looking at it as, you know, the second leading cause of um, disability that it is following heart disease. You know, I think that there's a lot of a lot of people who consider mental illness as different or other, but really 
it is incredibly prevalent. And so if we start looking at it as just another chronic condition, you know, and, and, and thinking about it that way, I think it helps reduce some of the stigma and I think it helps open up more conversations when we normalize it, when we, when we recognize and talk about it in a way that doesn't seem scary or different, but just as another chronic health condition that we want to look at and we want to help improve. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Danielle. Lynn, might you have a thought for our listeners? Yes, I think it's really important if you're thinking about joining, having a group, uh, forming a group or forming a coalition, it's really important to listen to all the partners and get a lot of input. <clears throat> you may not know everything that you think you know, um, and this is um, really affects a lot of lives, so it's really important to get information and ideas and input from all of your community members and, um, and community partners and the citizens of your community. Great. Thanks, Lynn. Bobby, would you have a word of wisdom to share with our partners? I think with the coalition, it's always important to not only, like Lynn said, to listen to all of your partners, but always be thinking of the next step, to never be satisfied, to always want to improve our communities as much as we can. So when you finish one project and you're moving forward, just remember that there's so much more out there that we could be doing to continue to improve the relationships of our community and the resiliency. Yeah, it's never-ending work. Caring, caring for other humans is never-ending work. <laughs> Good. That's great. Sarah, what would you recommend to listeners? I would say that mental illness is a huge impact on the entire family. So when you are providing services, really try and look at the family needs um, because that's so important. Um, it, it just it affects the adults, it affects the children, it affects everybody in that unit and everybody needs help healing. God, that was a powerful statement. Everybody needs help healing. Thank you. Alan, any last thought that you'd share with our listeners? Um, I would say the big thing, especially when we're trying to establish a coalition like this, is the ability for all these resources and uh, partners to come together and kind of put their own agenda to the side. Um, and being able to work towards one common goal is very important. Being able to reach out and get help when you need it um, and not being afraid to do so as well. And then um, the other aspect that we are integrating every portion of our region, so even officers are engaged in these conversations. Um, it's very important because officers, when they get called out, it's not because somebody was sleeping in their, in their house, it's because they were out in public causing a scene, which creates more stigma around mental illness and that's something that we're trying to diminish so bringing all those partners together setting aside your agenda and working towards a common goal is very important good summary alan thank you wow this has been such rich conversation and i'm so grateful for everyone's time this morning i was jotting down a few um, really powerful things that i heard folks say throughout this conversation and i was just going to sort of provide a bit of a summary on those um, and and please feel free to all of our very talented and compassionate um, 
podcast guest today, I heard a couple things that I would I would even like to note that our listeners could keep in mind. Uh, starting with the recognition that there's there sh- we want there to be no wrong door, and so wherever you are in terms of your in place of employment or the program that you're in, you may not have anything to do with. Uh, the service arena or this group of people, um, but to begin to think about yourself about no wrong door and what would that mean if you came across someone who needed assistance, where would you refer them to? I heard this group mentioned today um, things that would uh, leave for me as a listener that I would want to make sure that I'm increasing my own self-awareness about resources or partners in our community um, and to consider my role in that partnership group, um, similar to how this group has described what it meant to work together. And Alan did a great job summarizing. Uh, while we all have uh, respectful roles that we bring together in, in our own expertise, but um, minimizing our individual agenda for the common good. I heard a lot about um, using recovery language, and so for listeners uh, today leaving this podcast to think about what that means to change our language towards uh, words of recovery and hope and resiliency. And I also heard some suggestions that uh, for folks to become more aware of ACEs and trauma-informed care and how you might integrate that into the work that you're doing. And perhaps the last one might be to connect to peer advocacy organizations like NAMI. NAMI has chapters all over the nation. You might not have one in your community, but there are likely other peer uh, support organizations in surrounding communities that might be interested in partnering with you as well. Um, A lot of stuff came out of this last hour, and I'm so grateful for Danielle and Lynn and Bobby, Sarah and Alan for your time today. Uh, Kudos to you guys for sticking together um, and creating a strong coalition. And thank you so much for being willing to share with us today how you got started, how you identified priorities together, a little bit about what those are and how those have been impactful to your community, and specifically more about crisis intervention training and how working with a broad base of partners across the community has helped to shift the language to thinking about um, supporting resiliency, hope, and recovery for people. This has been another podcast series from the Midwestern Public Health Training Center, and we're so grateful for your time today. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Special thanks to our guests and to members of our planning committee, Sonia Armbruster, Katie Brandert, Stacey Coleman, Brandon Grimm, Joy Harris, Suzanne Holly, Abby Minky, Janine Moody, Melissa Richland, Hannah Schultz, Lori Wachner, and Kristen Wilson for guidance in creating this series, and Tamaya Chilisi for guidance as well as hosting this series. Theme music was composed and produced by Dave Hoeing and Roger Heilman. Funding for this webinar is provided by the Health Resources and Services Administration. Please see the podcast notes for an evaluation and transcript.